journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Yep, yep, it's Monday and I'm super excited to be with you. I am Adol Kazilski and I hope you are going to join me for the next hour as we go tripping in the Bible. We're actually at a point where the brothers, Joseph's brothers, are tripping all over the place. Why? Because Joseph, their brother, is tripping them, is setting them up to see if they themselves are going to fail again and uh, turn their backs on their brother or if they have, in fact, done chuva, they have repented. We are going to be following in the Bible on chapter, in chapter 44, verses, verse 6. I'm going to try to cover quite a lot of, um, of verses today. We are at the point where uh, the, that Menashe, Joseph's son, was told by Joseph to go and chase after the brothers who unwittingly have left Egypt with their sacks full of food, but with the silver goblet of Joseph embedded in the sack of Benjamin. And uh, this entire facade is now going to play out and really put the brothers in a very, very difficult position. If you'd like to ask a question, if you'd like to join the conversation, please do so. 34519 is the SMS line. 061-895-1019 is the telegram number. Right, verse 6 of chapter 44, Vayasi Game, he caught up with them. And Menashe said the following words to the brothers. And they said to them, Why? The brothers replied back to him and said, Why does our Lord say such things? God forbid that your servants, Me'asot Kadavarze, would have done such a thing. Like, how can you absolutely accuse us of something so heinous? Hein kesef Hashem matzinu b'fi at am techotenu heshivunu elecha me'eretz knan. Don't you remember? We even brought back the money from last time. Right? They're talking to Menashe because they gave that to Menashe when they came the first time. So they're saying now, we even brought the money back last time. We brought it back from the land of Canaan. How can you possibly insinuate that we have stolen gold or silver from the, the house of your, your master? If you find the, the servant with whom and um, it got stolen, they shall die. We'll become servants of your, of your master. Right, so here they were again, um, truly honest, truly like they were gobsmacked, that they were, they were even happy to say, he who, who finds it, um, will die. Now we know that, that whatever is said, comes true. We saw what happened with, with Yaakov when he was indignant when Lavan said, you stole my my trophim, you stole my idols. And he said the same thing and uh, his wife Rachel died because of it. Okay? Um, 
the brothers were completely convinced that they didn't they didn't uh, steal anything. Why? Because they have nothing to do with it. They don't need gold and silver. They're very they're very rich in and of themselves. And then they you know they wouldn't think that why would somebody have stolen a goblet? Like they would not. They weren't into divination. They weren't into anything like that. So there was absolutely no reason why they weren't indignant. Now, just to go on to the point that they said, whoever will find it will die, the the law was that if they were descendants of Abraham um, and theft was found amongst uh, in their hands, they had to become servants. And so they said, let him die, but they followed it up right afterwards um, that, it were, that they will become servants of Yosef. Vayoymer. Okay, and so now Manasha replies back to them. This is verse ten. Gam ata kidivrechem kain hu asheni matseito ye li eved vatem to you nikiim. I agree. Whatever you say now is correct. The one with whom it is found shall become my slave, and um, you shall be exonerated. Right, so he absolutely agrees with the, lo- uh, the, 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 the logic. He understands that 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 he's happy to take a servant. And a reminder to all the listeners: you remember when I told you that Menashe was in on this whole thing? That Yosef had told his wife and two sons that his brother it was his brothers and that he was setting them up. So what happened? They all hurried, and every man took his pack and put it on the ground. Each man opened up his pack. And they started searching from the oldest to the youngest. And lo and behold, horror of horrors, this is me, didn't say that in the verses, they find the goblets in Benjamin's packs. That's exactly where it is. Now, the brothers were really angry, and the Midrash tells us that they started beating him up, saying, you're a thief, you're a thief like your mother, just like your mother humiliated our father Yaakov by stealing Lavon's gods, you've embarrassed us. In a similar matter, and the brothers turn on Benjamin. Benjamin starts shouting back, says the Midrash, Chutzpah, you shameless enough to level such an accusation. All right, assume that I did steal the chalice, the, the goblet. Is it so bad? Uh, is it as bad as you did to my brother? You hated him so much you killed a kid and told our father that a beast devoured him. Now listen to the response of Benjamin. The response of Binyamin is an interesting one. Okay? He goes, Chutzpah, how dare you accuse this? But even if I did, oh, is this what you're going to do now? Are you going to go and kill another kid and tell our father that I too am dead? Now remember, ladies and gentlemen, that I told you that not only did Yosef's wife and two sons know the whole story, but that Yosef had colluded with Benjamin. Benjamin also knew the story. 
and Benjamin knew what was going to happen, and that's why he doesn't put up such a fight. What he says is, oh, are you going to do to me what you did to your brother? Because that was the whole point of the setup. And what did the brothers do? They tore their clothes in grief. They reloaded their donkeys. And they returned to the city. Now, God always provides a fitting punishment. The brothers had caused Yaakov to rend his clothes in grief. Now they were being repaid in kind. They too tore their clothes in grief. Now, it says that when they were reloading their animals and they were returning to the city, on the way back they planned to destroy the city. Okay? They showed off their strength. They all lifted um, these heavy packs with one hand and they started already flexing the muscles. But hang on in there because as we follow up, you will see that it actually gets even more. But Yavo Yehuda, the Echab Beta Yosef, Yehuda and all his brothers come to Yosef's house. He was still there. It was Shabbos, remember. They fall on the ground before them. Yosef had remained there, okay, because he wanted to, he didn't want to humiliate them in the palace because there's going to come the crunch time um, of him exposing himself and saying, I'm Yosef, your brother. So he remained at home. All the brothers come very crestfallen. And um, the tension is very high. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, this is really, really a nerve-wracking point. Now they're sitting down and they're bowing down before Yosef. By Yomelahem Yosef. Yosef says to them, What is this that you have done? Don't you realize that a man like me practices divination? Meaning you should have realized that a person in my position couldn't easily be fooled. And it's not hard for me to work out who stole my goblets. And it, 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 um, we are told that once um, in the Talmud actually, the story is that Mazuta was once staying with a philanthropist, and while he was there, a valuable silver goblet was stolen. And Mazuta saw that one of the house guests washed his hands in the morning, wiped them on someone else's shirt. So Mazuta told his host that he suspects that guest of stealing the cup, and that he obviously did not respect the property of others. And when he was questioned, the suspect finally confessed, confessed to the theft. Says, Yosef, you are guilty of a, of, of, of a huge crime, a crime against the king. Not only will you be able to escape with mere restitution and a fine, this crime is punished, punishable by, by death. I keep this goblet especially to test people who come into my house. And when people steal it, I act as if I do not see. And then I'm able to see who's dishonest, and I will not trust them later when it comes to more important matters. Verse 16. By Yehuda, Yehuda says, 
What must we say to our Lord? What, what, what should we say? What should we speak? And God, sorry, how can we show our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt and let us be servants to my Lord, us and the one in whose hand the goblet was found. So basically, Yehuda was saying, God has put us in this position, he is like a creditor, he has found a way to collect the debt, and you saw that we were initially innocent. We returned all the money to you. Why would we go steal a goblet? Yossi plays the game, because now he's gone and said, all of us will be servants. Remember, this is a plot. By Yomer, Yosef replies in verse 17, God forbid I should do such a thing, meaning I don't want all of you as servants. I don't know. Okay, you, the man who in whose hands the goblet was found shall be my slave. The rest of you go in peace. To your father, okay, and um, that is how he lands up going and putting their backs against the wall and making them um, and finding them, uh, you know, putting them in a very difficult, difficult uh, um, position. Now, just to go through, the brothers committed five avarice, five sins for which they deserve divine punishment. Number one, they hated Yosef and they could never speak peacefully with him. That is an Avera. A Jew is not allowed to speak badly about another Jew. Number two, they, when, when Yaakov sent Joseph to Shechem to inquire to their welfare, they conspired against him and they had their vicious sheepdogs attack him with murderous intent. If you remember, Joseph was spiritually strong enough to make them docile. Thirdly, they threw Yosef into a pit of snakes and scorpions. Four, they sold him as a slave. And five, they caused their father tremendous grief by bringing Yosef's coat and asking him to identify it. So Yosef calculated that he would have to cause his brothers five kinds of grief in order to expiate their five sins so that this punishment would not be taken into the world to come. So, what did he do? Number one, he caused his brothers grief in order to make them remember his dreams. Remember, they all came and they bowed down to him. They could see that everything was directed by God. It was all, all God's, um, God's will. So, the first thing is, because they couldn't speak to him, Peacefully, what did Yosef do? Meda connected Meda against them. He behaved like a stranger to them, and he spoke very harshly to them and angrily to them. Next, okay, what did I say? We said that they sent vicious dogs against them. The brothers wanted to kill him, so he accused them of being spies, a crime 
punishable by death. Okay? Um, and it is from their words alone that he accuses them of being spies. Then he said he threw him into a pit. So what did he do? He arrested Shimon. He threw Shimon into the pit. Okay? And he tormented him more than any of the other brothers because who had thrown Yosef into the pit? Shimon. So Shimon got his recompense that way. Now we know they had kidnapped him and sold him as a slave. So what did Yosef do? Yosef placed money in their packs so that they would worry that they would be arrested as thieves and sold as slaves. And that's why he also framed them now with the goblet. So you can see over here that Yosef has done to them what they have done to Yosef. And finally, the fifth one is they caused Yosef grief. And what happened now? They themselves tore their clothes and they were in grief. Now, what we actually have done um, is that that Yosef, as I mentioned before, but I'll mention again, shared this information with Binyamin when they ate the meal with him. I'm going to read to you exactly what the Midrash says. The Midrash says that he called aside Binyamin and he said to Binyamin, now that you know the secret that you are my brother, keep it to yourself, for I am going to test your brothers and see how dedicated they are to each other. I will place the goblet in your sack and after you leave, I will send Manashe after you and when he catches you, he will ask why you stole his master's cup. I want to see if they have any feelings towards you. If they are willing to risk their lives for you and return to rescue you, then I know that they have good hearts and I will make myself known to them. But if when the goblet is found, they go on their way and they leave you behind, Binyamin, I will know that they have no brotherly feelings towards you since they have no concern about your suffering. Then I will remain with you alone and I will let them return home without ever knowing that I am Yosef. Then let God do as he will. So Binyamin was in this entire story, and that's why Binyamin doesn't give such an uphill. And now Yosef has put them in a position saying, no, 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 I don't need all the servants. I will just keep he who stole the goblet as my servant. We're going to do verse 18 now of chapter 44, but just for those that are following in, we have finished the Pasha of Mikates. We're starting the Pasha of Vayigash, even though it's in the middle, in the middle of, 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 the, of the chapter. Vayigash love Yehuda. Vayoymer, and Yehuda comes forward. So Yehuda, you remember Yehuda, took responsibility for Binyamin when he was by Yaakov. He promised him with his life that he will look after Binyamin. So now Yehuda has to stand forward. And actually, before I start, we are told that this dialogue that happened now, that I'm going to tell you about now, was so dramatic, was so intense, that our sages say that the angels descended from heaven to listen 
to the dialogue now between Yehuda and Yosef. Now hold on to your chairs because it gets pretty rough. Vayigash elad Yehuda. Yehuda like steps forward. Okay? Um, and he says the following to Yosef. Be Adoni Yidabena Avdecha Davarabi Osne Adoni. Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word into my Lord's ears. Please do not get angry with your servant, because you are like Paroi. Now, there's a lot to understand here. Yehuda took a lesson from his father, Yaakov. You remember when Yaakov was meeting Esau, he had a three-prong attack. Prong number one, was that he was going to appease Asav. And so he prepared a whole lot of gifts for him. Prong number two, he prepared for war and he divided his camp up into two. Prong number three, he prayed. Well, now we're going to see Yehuda doing the same thing. He prepares a three-prong attack. One, he's going to present to Yosef a well-reasoned defense. Two, he will engage Yosef in battle if he refuses to release Binyamin. And he was, he would, he was ready already to kill Yosef and all his men on the way back. And three, he was going to use the ultimate weapon, says the Midrash, prayer. And he would pray to God to help him and let him find a way out of this predicament. So he approaches Yosef. And he says, please, your excellency, let me speak a few words in your ears. Now, and don't be angry with me. Okay? Now, normally, people do not whisper secrets into the ruler's ears. You don't come before Queen Elizabeth and say, can I whisper something in your ears? Conversations with a ruler are usually carried out through a spokesman or interpreter. But Yehuda wanted an exception to this rule. And he didn't want Joseph to be angry with him for making this unusual request. But interestingly, even when he asks that he can speak into his ears, he uses the word ears in plural, not in the singular. Now, when you want to whisper a secret, or you want to say something without anybody hearing, you say, lend me your ear, not lend me your ears. Okay, and nothing is by chance in Torah. Why did he say, let me uh, talk to you in your ears because what he was saying was I want you to pay careful attention to my words, let my words enter your ears well and what basically happens okay, is oh, before I even say what, 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 what happened was why did he say don't be angry because there was a tradition that if you were a king and you lost your temper your reign was taken away from you so he defends himself and he says to him, I don't want you to be angry with, 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 with you. And when he presents his argument, he presents it in such a way that it is somewhat ambiguous. It can be in the positive, it can be taken negatively. 
Let's read now verses 19 to 34, um, because we are short of time. I'm not going to read the Hebrew and translate it. I'm just going to read the English, so you can just follow the conversation of what he says. And then we're going to go back and dissect it. He says, Adoni, Adoni Sha'al et Avadav, your, my Lord, you, Yosef, ask his servants, meaning us, do you have a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, we have a father who is old, and there is a youngest, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's children that are still alive, and his father loves him. You said to your servants, bring him down to me, so that I may set my eyes upon him. We said to you, my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. If he left him, the father would die. Then you said to your servants, if your youngest brother doesn't come down with you, you shall never see my face again. So when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him my Lord's words. And our father said, go back and procure some food. We said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go down. Since we cannot see the viceroy if our youngest brother is not with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife, Rachel, bore me two sons. One has already left me, and I assumed that he was torn to pieces by wild animals. I have not seen him until now. And now... You want to take this one from me? If he has an accident, you will have brought my white head down to the grave in evil. And now, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his soul is bound up with his lad's soul. When he sees that the lad is absent, when the boy is absent, he will die. And your servant will have brought the white head of your servant, our father, down to the grave in misery. Besides, says Yehuda further, I made a guarantee for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him to you, I will have sinned to my father for all time. And now, let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord in place of this boy. Let the boy go back to his brothers, for how shall I go back to my father when the boy is not with me. I cannot bear to see the evil that will befall my father. So those are verses 19 to 34 of chapter 44. You can see here that he's given a well-constructed rebuff in explaining what it is that went on, how it all transpired, but the bottom line was that Yehuda said, I cannot, under any circumstances, whatsoever, allow you to take Binyamin. I stood guarantee, I will be the death, this will be the death of my father. You, Mr. Viceroy, will be responsible for it as much as I will. Now, you can take me and please, please let the boy go. How heart rendering, how like emotion, it's emotionally tearing at everybody. We are going to see soon what the response is.
IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. All right, so what was happening behind the scenes? We are going to have to uh, look into the Midrash. And in the Midrash, there is an elaborate discussion between Joseph and Judah, between Yosef and Yehuda. And um, Yosef, if you start looking at what it is that he's saying, Shepherd, he irritated Yehuda to the point um, that that uh, Yosef puts him in a corner and he says to him, you know, you actually know that your brother wasn't torn because when you came the first time and we accused you of spies, you said you were looking for a lost brother in the in the neighborhoods of Egypt. So, you know, you... You're you're making up stories. In fact, I don't think your brother got killed. I think for a small paltry sum of money, you sold your brothers to the Ishmaelites. Now, why would you make your father suffer when you told him that Yosef was torn to pieces by a wild beast? That says the Midrash affected Yehuda badly, and that's where he began to cry and where he said, how can I go back to my father if this boy is not with me? How can I look at this disaster that will, that will, be, will bring my father? So he was very emotional, Yehuda, and he was broken. And at the same time, while he was trying to negotiate with what he seems as, 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 a, as a very adamant viceroy, he was thinking about war. And we are told that when he saw Yosef's adamant face and that Yosef was not, was not uh, becoming mellow in any way whatsoever to this negotiation, he silently turned around to Naphtali, one of his brothers, and he said to Naphtali, go see how many thoroughfares there are in the Egyptian capital. Naphtali was extremely fleet-footed. He went and he came and he reported into Yehuda's ears that there were twelve so Yehuda said to his brothers, all of us in Hebrew, not knowing that Yosef, Menashe, everybody could understand what you're saying, he says, let's go destroy these thoroughfares. I will destroy three. Each of you can destroy one. We'll destroy the city without leaving a stone unturned. He was getting fed up because Yosef was so stubborn. And it says, the brothers answered him, Yehuda, Yehuda, this is the capital of Egypt. And not Shem. If you destroy Egypt, you'll be destroying civilization. God will not desire such a catastrophe. Besides, what you're ordering is impossible. But Yehuda's temper increased. And it says that in Yosef's palace there was a stone that was, that weighed about 400 pounds. Yehuda took it in his right hand. He threw it up in the air. He caught it in his left hand. Then he put it on the ground. And he pulverized it with one kick. Okay? Yosef is watching all of this, right? He's seeing the aggravation. He's seeing the whispering before the brothers. So unimpressed, Yosef signals to Menashe, who did the same thing with a similar stone, the first one's twin. Yosef, so Menashe picks up a stone, throws it in the air with his right, catches it with his left, puts it down, gives it a kick, and boof, it's pulverized. Yosef says, you think that no one is as strong as you? Well, you better realize that we have men just as strong as you. 
Yehuda's blood pressure is up. Yehuda's blood is boiling. He says, give us back Benjamin and let us bring him home to his father. Otherwise, we will destroy the city. Oh, said Joseph, such dedication. Why, didn't, why don't you tell your father that a wild beast killed Benjamin as well? Just as you told him about Yosef. Can you see how Yosef's chaffering him? And then Shimon says, we don't have to go around the city and count its side affairs. Let's go up that mountain. There are plenty of large stones. We can throw them down on the people and kill them. And now <laughs> the tension in Yosef's home is at, at boiling points. And Yosef can see that the brothers are now talking extreme measures, the extreme measures that they were ready to take in order to release Benjamin. So he says to Menashe, bring the Egyptian army. Menashe arrives with 50 heavy-set horsemen, 10,000 foot soldiers, 400 powerful fighters, all of them are well-versed in martial arts. They don't even have to use weapons. And Menashe orders the men not to fight with these Hebrews, but merely to attack them suddenly and frighten them. So the Egyptian troops come, they surround the brothers, and the brothers become very nervous. They become frightened. Yehuda laughs and he says to them, what are you afraid of? We're working for Hashem, we're working for God. He will surely take care of us. And with that, he tries to draw his sword, okay? And he wants to, to, to show his might. But God stops him from drawing his sword. So what does he do? He lets out a series, a series of terrifying war cries. Okay, he just starts screaming terrifying war cries, which is not, as you might probably think listening to the story, not like what Tarzan sounded like, but probably spiritual world, uh, words that are destructive. The Egyptians become petrified, and one by one, they begin to flee. And it says the, 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 the sound of it was so, um, so scary that women in Egypt in Goshen miscarried. Yosef signals to Menashe and Menashe goes up to Yosef and he tells him to put his hand on Yehuda's uh, shoulder. And he tranquilizes him. And for a moment, Yosef, I mean Yehuda, falls down like a clump on the floor. Unbelievable. It was then where Yehuda realized that this viceroy and this servant of his had some unknown power that was equal to what he knew. When his color subsided, okay, he decided to start speaking uh, calmly again to to Yosef. And we'll see now, just after the break, what actually happens. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. The tension is in the air. Yehuda has shown his prowess, his strength, his anger, his indignation at the Viceroy for not releasing um, Binyamin. And at the same time, Yosef has shown that, hey, Mr. Judah, 
I am as powerful as you. You can pulverize a stone, so can we. You can let out terrifying screams of, and war cries. We can flatten you very quickly and tranquilize you. And when Yehuda gets up from the floor and his color comes back, Yosef realizes that he has managed to subdue he, his, uh, his, his, his brother. And he begins speaking calmly again to Yehuda, promising him now that he's got another deal. What is the deal? That he will give him back Benjamin on condition he brings Benjamin's maternal brother in exchange. And this is what I said before. He said to him, you told me your missing brother was in Egypt. Well, if you look hard enough, then you'll be able to find him. Because since he is already a slave, I will take him in exchange as a slave in Binyamin's place. I see says Yosef, that I cannot hold Benjamin since you have guaranteed his return. But since you never guaranteed the safety of your other brother, you need not worry about him. Just go and find him. Shimon was furious and he says, didn't we tell you we don't know where Benjamin's brother is? We don't know if he's alive or dead. How can you demand something that we cannot do? And it was at this point that Yosef realized that the brothers had indeed done shiva. They had repented. They had, they were prepared. They were at the point of bringing the house down and killing everybody in order to save Benjamin. And it is at this point in time that Yosef is going to reveal himself. But that, dear listeners, you're going to have to come back this time next week. For we are going to open up with chapter 45, verse 1, where Yosef prepares to reveal himself. I wish you a wonderful week ahead, a, an easy fast. Um, Tisha B'Av is this Motzei Shabbat and Sunday. Please God, it should not happen, and we should have the revelation of Mashiach before then. Um, in the meantime, have a quiet week, a peaceful week, a healthy week. I'll be back with you next week.